Hello friends, my name is Jude McGowan and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and Epic Projects, or the Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation, who are a US-based non-profit organization. If you're curious, go to their website, epicprojects.org. As always, this is a podcast to support the brilliant work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of dyslexic people so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and they teach them to read for free. And they also have a free online screening tool which you can use to assess yourself or a loved one for dyslexia. So, this week we've got an episode with a slight difference. We are going to be looking at your FAQs. Those are your frequently asked questions about dyslexia. So questions that people quite often have when they come to their diagnosis later on in life. These are questions that have been put to us either by email, reviews for the podcast, or when they call the charity directly. So to help answer those questions, we've got Steve O'Brien, who is, of course, the Dyslexia Foundation's CEO, has been for the last 20 plus years. So here are your FAQs. So today we're going to do something just a little bit different. Uh, today we're going to answer your FAQs, the frequently asked questions that you might have as someone who is coming to their diagnosis or suspects they might be dyslexic or any questions that you you, you may have had. We've seen some questions um, in our review section um, and we're going to move through them now. Um, we have Steve, Steve O'Brien, who is, of course, the uh, CEO of the Dyslexia Foundation. Hello, Steve. Hi, Jude. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, all good. So um, let's start off. Uh, dyslexia um, as an employee, so in your place of work. Um, so questions people had around that, uh, primarily starting with the issues you might have at work. Steve, what have you, um, in your experience, your 20-plus years uh, at the helm of the uh, foundation, um, what are the questions that you've had? So we, we have a, a really busy helpline at the foundation, um, and we get various questions from different areas. So one of the biggest sort of inquiries is um, people that are employed and the issues that they're having in the workplace. So the biggest thing is people think, well, you know, I'm dyslexic, so what can I do? Who can I approach? And mm. um, the conversation tends to be around, so what, you know, the, the starting point is at school, what was your educational history? Any problems at school? Did you struggle with reading? Did you struggle with spelling? Did you struggle with memory? Um, what qualifications did you get? Did you did you achieve any GCSEs or levels? You know, what's the highest sort of qualification you've got? And bearing in mind, you will get people that have got one GCSE to a guy with a PhD. Yeah. You know, you'll get a person from a unemployed uh, guy to a person who's the CEO of a business. We've done assessments right across the board at the foundation, um, and we've done support in work and and uh, various bits and pieces with the job centres, those sort of things. But the biggest key issue is, I'm a dyslexic, so how do I find out if I'm, if I'm employed? Straight away we say, if you're employed, um, your employer should have some form of policy around dyslexia. They should have a disability mm. policy. Within the disability policy, there should be um, a dyslexia element to it to say, this is what we would do with a person who is uh, dyslexic and who's employed by us. If they haven't got one, 
then the first port of call really is to go speak to your line manager or maybe somebody in HR. If you feel confident about disclosing that you think you're dyslexic and ask them what they can do for you. Um, good employers will have a policy, will refer somebody for a dyslexia screening. On our website, we've discussed before, there's a, there's a free dyslexia screening tool that just basically screens you for dyslexia. Anyone can use that, an employer. We have lots of employers that use it as a starting point. And then basically that starts the conversation and the, the progression into getting a full day, uh, full dyslexia assessment. Um, I would say the biggest question is who's going to pay for the assessment? That seems to be the, the burning uh, question with, a, with an employee and an employer. Yeah, big one. The employer has a duty um, to to do the assessments. Um, the employee, if they don't want to disclose they've got dyslexia, they want to keep themselves, they can obviously fund an assessment, but it can be expensive, anywhere from 500 to to 1,000 pounds for a dyslexia assessment. Wow. So ideally, approach your employer, ask them, tell them that this is an issue to your employment. It could be that under a performance review, there's, there's issues around, you know, uh, it could be how you're writing reports. It could be sending emails. It could just be simple stuff, forgetting days and dates. You know, I'm phenomenal at forgetting people's names, dates, <laughs> Zoom meetings, where I should be, what I've done, what I've not done, you know, turning up at appointments when I should have been somewhere else. That happens. So those sort of things can come up and, and can be noted under like a performance review. Uh, of somebody's employment and it can be stressful so we get a lot of people that ring up and say you know i'm getting pressured by my my employer um, i'm making errors and i think it's because i'm dyslexic it's never been addressed uh, what you know what should i do and there are as, as i said 90 percent of the calls we get today from our helpline from employers are to say i've got an employee i want to support them they're a valued member of the team we just want to put the right things in place you know what can we do what should we do you know, should we have a policy? Can you help us draft up a policy, which we've done? Um, and then mm. the steps of working through um, what can be done. So things like, for instance, the, the employer funds the assessment. The employer then looks at access to work. And through access to work, the employee and the employer can engage. It's a governmental um, project through the Department for Works and Pensions. You can go on the .gov website and it's got all the details about access to work. And it's a simple phone call. You can tell me dyslexic. You don't have to have the diagnosis for access to work, but you need to know how it affects you uh, to get the support. But um, I would always recommend getting the assessment because it gives you a profile. It tells you your strengths and weaknesses. It also tells you whether it's dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. You could have a raft of, of um, uh, sort of cognitive issues that need to be addressed, but also need to have a label on them. Um, so that label then sort of decides the support that you would get from access to work. They will send somebody out to come and see you in the workplace. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a simple conversation. You discuss how um, your dyslexia or how you think the dyslexia affects you in the workplace. And then they'll put in, in uh, measures in place to support you within the workplace and to sort of alleviate the stresses and the anxieties. They'll have a conversation with your line manager. Um, they'll have a conversation with you. They will agree on a plan and a process of, uh, of moving forward. And it's 80% um, funded by the uh, Department for Works and Pensions, Access to Work, and then 20% by the employer. If you're a new start, it's 100%. So it's a good scheme. It's, it has been better, but it currently it does what it, it says and it, it, it supports people within the workplace. That's, that's great. That's great. So, so why don't we just helpfully sum up then um, that, that particular uh, section of questioning for people? So, I mean, basically, it, it's, it's 
the, the biggest the sort of the biggest issues that come out of the employment question that we get from the helpline is who's going to fund the assessments, what support's available, where's the support going to come from, and then sort of there's the practicality, the practical things that you can do, and also looking at you know does lots of uh, employees that I've met have a disability advocate, they have mentors. Finding somebody within the workplace who also is dyslexic who can mentor an individual is, is a very sort of positive thing. But ideally, it's to say, okay, um, you know, get screened, get assessed, um, disclose to your employer. People do have an issue with disclosure. Um, yeah. In 2019, the most assessments we did in Liverpool were for doctors. So wow. disclosing as a doctor or, you know, a teacher or uh, some some um occupations there's there's a hesitancy to, to to sort of disclose i think that disclosure can be a big issue but the people that go listen i'm dyslexic so what are the people that succeed the people that hide it as, as something that needs to be hidden are the people that do struggle and it creates the anxieties and stresses of life as we know but on the whole sure lots of employers are very proactive with their dyslexia and disability and they will you know move the barriers that the person has to keep that person retained in employment because obviously they've put money into training the person with the example of the doctors thousands of pounds has been spent on training a doctor you know a fire a fire officer fireman same thing thousands of pounds have been spent training that person once you train somebody yeah. you want to retain and keep them and let them reach their uh, full potential so that's the key for me they're the key things is to look at um you know disclosing in, in the workplace getting the screening assessment and and finding um, the the what next, which is um, access to work. It could be that a lot of them, there are quite a few employees that don't go to access to work. They actually do it themselves and say, okay, if this person, for instance, needs um, a screen reader, they need a voice system like Dragon, or uh, you know, it could be that they want to read and pen to read things, use an iPad, have an assistive technology. They'll do that themselves as an employer to be uh, more proactive. That's great. That's wonderful. All right, well then, um, so that's that's neatly covered dyslexia as an employee. So what about dyslexia, the questions we've had from uh, someone who's unemployed? So our speciality, my biggest passion has always been people who are unemployed or people who are the most marginalised by dyslexia. The people that, that have left school, gone into occupations where they've steered away from literacy. Years ago, to be unemployed, yeah, you know, it, the, the phrase used to be in the 80s, you sign on. So you sign a piece of paper um, and that's all you have to do. Today, you don't. Today, you have to fill in an online journal. You have to be able mm. to access an online journal onto a portal, fill information about job search, what you're doing, be able to read information. And it's quite a technical process to be able to use those uh, facilities. The job centres do yeah. offer support for people that are dyslexic. That's one of the biggest sort of uh, myths. We, we've done a lot of work with the job centres. But for the person that doesn't know the dyslexic and doesn't know the support out there, you know, with those literacy issues, what can they do and, and how can they sort of move forward? So we work for 20 years, specifically across Merseyside, with the job centres in Merseyside, offering free diagnostic screenings, free diagnostic assessments. And that's now led to, there's a system that the job centres run where they offer um, a full dyslexia personal development course on Merseyside. It's it's a call-on-call-off contract. We've been running it for four or five years. But basically, you can come into a, a job centre, speak to your job coach, tell them you think you're dyslexic, tell them you, you, know, you think it's a barrier to getting a job and they want to address it. So the job centre then refers them to the foundation. There are other providers as well, not just the foundation, um, who will then look at 
doing a diagnostic assessment and then looking at how um, you can move that person nearer to the to, to sort of progressing to getting the job. And that can be from A, discovering what dyslexia is, how it's a disability, B, job search, you know, see what technology you can use, self-esteem, confidence, motivation. Those are the sort of things that somebody who's unemployed can access via the job centre. And it's just a simple case of speaking to your job coach or the disability employment advisor at your local job centre. And it, it basically will open the door to getting the diagnostic assessment, identifying that you're dyslexic, and then looking at how you can match your strengths into employment and what you can do. And again, it is that thing where you've got to look at saying, okay, I'm dyslexic and then developing the skills to, to, to sort of progress. Um, I've, I've sat with people that have come in this office who have said, that, you know, what the first question I'll ask is, so, you know, when was the last time that you worked? And they'll say, well, it was 1984. And this has stopped me since 1984. I'm too ashamed to go into a job and not be able to fill in an application form. I don't want to fill an application form because my spelling's atrocious or my handwriting. And, you know, if you see my handwriting, my handwriting is a disgrace. I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't fill in an application form by hand because it looked like a spider or a child had written it. But on a computer, I'm fine, you know. I can go from, yeah. you know, looking like an innocent adult to doing a PhD. But ultimately, I've still got <laughs> terrible handwriting. I've still got terrible spelling. But I use technology to address those issues. And that's what, you know, a lot of people have done. We had a... Um, a, a young lady in not so long ago who um, had come into the centre who wanted to get into university but was struggling because she was living in a, uh, a refuge and literally within three months turned her life around from getting a diagnostic assessment, looking at what she could do. We gave her a, a tablet as part of the course and she progressed within 12 weeks from unemployed, virtually homeless in a refuge to starting a degree in Manchester and is in year three now as we speak. So simple things, simple knowledge and, and, and simple ideas can actually progress someone forward. It is almost like a light switch where you turn on the, the, the light switch on for somebody to say, you know, this is what you could achieve um, by going to your job centre, speaking to somebody and saying, listen, I think I'm dyslexic. It's always been a problem. What what can you do? And the job centres do have the information and, and the support there. We've worked in Rush Home. We've worked in Moss Side. We cover all the job centres across Merseyside, St. Helens. Um, so go in, speak to somebody and ask. And I think that is one of the, the most positive things that you can do. So asking the question and, and sort of trying to move forward, developing your confidence in your skills to say, okay, maybe I do need to look at technology. You know, I, I get a lot of people, I, I do a lot of job search portals for people coming to the office who still struggle, who can't read. We will fill in their um, their online um, job search stuff for them to help them so they can, they can progress. But it is very much um, what you can do and who you can speak to in the job centre who, who will sort of progress you forward to supporting you within what your aims and goals are. But it's always good to look at, you know, the simple stuff that you can start with where you can look at an email system like Gmail, where it will read your email to you. It'll spell check your email. You can attach Grammarly, which is a free app, which, again, you can use via Google. You can use on many browsers where it's the starting point to saying, okay, I know I've got an issue. So if I'm going to send an email, if I'm going to go on an online forum like Facebook or wherever it may be, I can check um, my, my spelling. I can, you know, uh, improve my literacy to sort of make things a lot easier. The same as filling in job applications. 
you know, or, or building a CV. There's assistive technology out there that's free that you can use and you can get support with via the job centre to, uh, to sort of progress and, and move forward. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I, I think we should probably caveat all this by saying uh, we know we have a, a large listenership um, overseas. Uh, obviously, we're, we're talking in quite a British-centric um, way, uh, but I'm sure if you approach your local uh, council, your local government, um, and, and get in contact with their employment department, uh, they will be able to help you. Because as Steve says, if you are um, a skilled worker or, or, or somebody um, who, who has aptitude, who's been trained in something, um, it's within your employee's um, benefit to provide some level of assistance for you. And the same goes for your, your local government or your federal government. So uh, the, the help, I'm sure, is there. For, for the most part, it, it's, it's about um, asking for that help. Um, and that, that sort of neatly leads on to um, any feelings of uh, like the imposter syndrome, which is quite common for um, dyslexic people. Uh, I, I don't know if, if there are things that you, you, you had on that, Steve. Yeah, we get a lot of people that sort of go into jobs and, and they're very fearful that they feel that they shouldn't be in that job because they're dyslexic and it, 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 it becomes a real sort of, it, it is this imposter syndrome where they think, well, actually, I mean, I, I used to always start way back way back when, 20 years ago, you used to have this feeling myself where you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm sat in a, in a lecture and I'm, I'm struggling, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling. Mm. And I, I, you look around, you think that all these other people that are, you know, I was, especially at university, but even, even today, sometimes I get into meetings and I used to have this idea that, you know, everyone around me is far more intelligent than me, the far, you know, better than me, because, you know, it's this sort of, um, Almost this fear you have as a dyslexic person that someone's going to go, do you know what? You shouldn't be here because you, 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 you know this feeling of inadequacy that dyslexia can cause. Um, of course, make, yeah. makes it makes it a big issue. But ultimately, you know, you're as good as the person next to you, um, and it's mm. your own self-esteem and confidence that sometimes gets knocked as a child, gets knocked, you know, as an adult. I used to often get told, you know, uh, my dad was always classic at the one that's sort of like think before you speak. But ultimately, I always say to people, whenever I do training, we do a lot of um, training for civil servants, teachers, that the daftest questions are often the most important because that sort yeah. of thinking out of the box sort of idea is very important. And it's it's having the confidence to say, you know what, I am you know valued. You'll see people that, that work um, in various multinational companies that will sit and, and not speak in meetings because they think that they're going to find we found out that the you know that 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 old you know stigma of being thick stupid that label gets attached to you but actually it's not it's you know have the have the sort of the confidence to speak and say and then appreciate the fact that we've had i've seen people that work for 15 years in a job who are better than the people above them and below them and to the side of them but don't think they are because They've got dyslexia, but actually, the dyslexia is given the ability to think out of the box, to be creative, to to be you know to invent something, to design software. No, it's it's a great point because uh, great teachers know that if one student has a question, everyone has a question, and it's it's often um, an indication that potentially things aren't as clear as they need to be. Uh, I went to a school with a chap who was probably definitely dyslexic as well. And he would preface any question by saying, I know this is a stupid question. And it wasn't a stupid question. Everybody in the room wanted to ask that question. They were just pretending that they knew the answer or were 
probably assuming that they weren't bright enough or, or clever enough to to engage in the conversation. And I was always inwardly incredibly grateful that that, that person had been brave enough to say, hey, I know this might be a, a stupid question. And it, and it most definitely wasn't. So um, you're not alone. Dyslexic people are, are not alone in feeling uh, Im- imposter syndrome or that they're not good enough or that they're not understanding things. That's a, a very natural, sadly, a very um, common thing. We feel this, this sense of um, uh, self-loathing um, and a, a lack of confidence um, because of uh, the, the, often the way our dyslexia um, exhibits, how it um, manifests itself. I think it's, 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 in, it's interesting to look at how the people that have been on the podcast so far, how they've managed their dyslexia and how they've progressed. And I think that's the whole idea when, when we looked at doing this originally was to say, do you know what? There are lots of people in lots of occupations that are thriving with dyslexia. So mm. it's finding your niche, finding your, you know, whatever your hustle is, whatever you like to do, progressing that into an, a job and then saying, okay, you know, self-employment is often a great avenue for a dyslexic person because they are their own boss. Obviously, there's challenges. Yeah. There are challenges to be your own boss and be dyslexic. That the you know the, the the administrative duties, but there are support. There's support available for people again through access to work. Even your local job centre, if you're struggling with dyslexia and reading, they've got the facility to purchase um, tablets, the e pens. Those you can ask your, your job coach for an e pen if it's going to help you. And we we even, we've even started to, to, to supply the e pens because we get that many requests for them. Um, where literally we did a project in Liverpool for the European Social Fund where we were training people to use tablets and how they could do job search, how they could use them to read letters, how they could, you know, learn stuff on YouTube. And we've got so many different formats today where if you're sat at home unemployed, there are lots of courses online. There's courses on LinkedIn. There's courses, you know, on YouTube, even TikTok. All the social media platforms have an education value. There are even free universities that are popping up around uh, there's one in the u.s where you can do i think it's i'm not sure it's harvard or one of them does free courses that you can engage on degree courses and, and improve your education and attainment and then obviously using the tools like screen readers to read things you know audio books all those different things are things that an unemployed person can do i mean i love podcasts podcasts are so informative and then again, you know, go to the job centre, ask the job centre person what you can do. If, you, if you're honest and open and say, listen, this is the problem that I've got. If you can help me, then I can progress and move forward back into, you know, employment. And it's good for someone's mental well-being. It's good for the confidence. You know, being dyslexic can create lots of anxiety. There are lots of issues around, you know, individuals that come into our centres who have got mental health problems through depression because of, of, you know, what causes the anxiety, what causes the stresses. Nine times out of ten, it is dyslexia. It's having that stigma where you think, do you know what, I'm not good enough. Well, actually you are. You know, if you're a Steve Job or or an Einstein or those sort of characters or the people that we've, 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 we've put on the podcast who've gone, you know, I'm dyslexic, but I've achieved all these different things. You know, I'm an actor. I'm a you know a personal trainer. I'm a chef. I'm a vet. I'm a doctor. All those things and people who are dyslexic. Who to the person that's listening to this, who's sitting there thinking he's unemployed, thinking, well, you know, what am I good at? Everyone's got something they're good at. It's just finding what you're good at and what you enjoy. And if you enjoy something, it's mm. not a job. You know, it it, it doesn't become yes. tasking if you enjoy it. I enjoy my job. I get up every morning. I don't think I'm going to a job. I'm going to do something that I enjoy. And I think that's the key thing: is finding what you enjoy, finding what you're good at, whether it is you know, painting, cooking, whatever those things are, if you can 
find that skill and develop that skill and not let dyslexia or literacy or or text hold you back then progression can be uh, you know a positive thing for you totally totally i think that brings us very neatly on to dyslexia in education so going back to school college or university the faqs that we've had around that so a lot of the questions we get are people that have failed exams so i've failed my gcse's i failed my air levels and um, it's not the end of the world. I failed my GCSE. Well, I failed O levels when I when I was at school. Um, I came out with two Ds. I was the last person that anyone thought would go and do a degree or a master's or try and do a PhD. Hmm. But uh, there are lots of different routes into education. Um, I was talking to somebody locally in a local college who was saying that they take lots of people um, in the college on a sort of non. Um, uh, a different pathway into a degree. So there's foundation degrees that you can do. So we get lots of calls about, um, I'm going to university, do I need to be assessed? If you go to university and you want support in university, you're going to need a full diagnosis for dyslexia. There are fantastic universities. We work with John Moore's University in Liverpool, and they provide uh, above and beyond support for the students with dyslexia. They go out, they do the, they'll do the assessment, they have staff that support the students, uh, we do a lot of support for them because we 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 do the uh, the non medical support for students. So if you go into into university, there is a grant available called the Disability Student Allowance. Uh, when you register for your course, contact your university, have a chat with them, and then contact the Department for Education, um, and it's all on the .gov website, and you can apply for the dis- Disability Student Allowance. You'll need a, a relevant dyslexia assessment. There are lots of pros and cons around that, but basically you're going to need a full diagnosis, which is up to date. Uh, some of the old stuff will work. There's, the, the guidelines change all the time, but at the moment, if you go with a with, with a person that's a level seven above who's recognised and qualified to do the assessment, you can go in, you can get about, uh, I think it's up to about £11,000 a year worth of support. Um, the average student will get one-to-one support, software, hardware, and um, then they'll have a one-to-one um, tutor who will support them through their degree scheme over the three years. Very positive, which is fantastic for university students. But obviously then, as you come down into further education, you come down to secondary education, the the, the, the support is more sporadic. At the universities, because there's a, a third-party funder for the work, it works really well. But there are Really good universities, as I say, John Moores, we always sing their praises um, about how good they are at what they do. Um, and then again, there's, you know, most cities will have a university that has a full uh, dyslexia, disability team. You can go in, they will offer a screening, they will also offer a diagnosis. Some universities don't pay for diagnosis, um, some have a hardship fund, or there's, there's, there's always a way to get an assessment through a university. They, they're very, very proactive in retaining students because you are ultimately a customer you're paying nine thousand pound plus a year and they want to keep you on that degree so to support you is the best way and obviously it's a part of equality and diversity which everyone should have at the forefront of what they do when they're providing education but one of the key things that i always tell people is whatever course you sign up to do the person that provides the educational opportunity or course has the responsibility to support your disability so if you go to college and the college says to you, we don't do that, then you're on the wrong course in the wrong college. You need to find a college that says, yes, we can support you. Not go and find, or here's the phone number. I get, I get phone calls off students that go, I won't, I won't name the colleges, but they're not far from where I am. I'm at a college and they've told me to ring you. And I've said, well, 
you need to speak to the college and ask them, do they provide a uh, screening? Do they provide an assessment? Have they got any accessible software on their internet system? Do they provide any one-to-one tuition? If you're on a, specifically on a degree or a foundation degree, that college or educational provider should provide that. If you're doing a, a diploma in counseling and that person then says the same thing, they're getting paid to deliver that course. So if you're getting paid for that to deliver that course, you should also provide the support and the access for the person who has a disability. Because I'm guaranteeing you that there's a ramp to get into the building. They'll have a hearing loop. They'll have Braille. They'll have all those resources for a disabled person. But if you haven't got the resource for a dyslexic person, then don't go to that college. Don't go to that university. Don't go to that private person that delivers a forklift truck driving course if they can't support you as a dyslexic person because you have a recognised disability. I don't go around saying I'm disabled all the time, but literally when it comes down to the crunch, if I need support for my disability, I expect under equality and diversity, you know, access to a screen reader, whatever it may be I need, or a little bit of extra time, whatever it may be. And they're the sort of things you can get that you actually, it's a right. It's not like, can I have, you know, you're not, it's you know, that old notion of handicapped, you know, cap in hand. It shouldn't be that process for a disabled person. You should be able to walk into an education provider. That's why they get externally um, audited to see whether or not they provide the provision they should provide. But ultimately, wherever you may be, if it's an apprenticeship, if it's higher education, further education or secondary education, they should provide you with the tools, support and empathy to progress through that course uh, and not go to third party organisations looking for what, what can be done. So for, for the, 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 the sort of education route, it's very important to get before you start the tools that you need. Starting a course at the end and saying I'm dyslexic and I, you know, I'm gonna, I've got an exam and I'm panicking, it's very hard to get support put in place it's much easier much better to be proactive you know we, we've done simple stuff with forklift truck driving companies where they've got to do a you know a uh, so they're doing a multiple choice exam and we were at one company and half the people that were doing the course were unemployed and failing so he says to the company how about you read the questions out so they went from 50 percent failure to 95 percent pass wow because all they're doing is reading the questions out and it's just a simple thing it's a simple you know uh, disability um, amendment that you can make to address the disability, which is just, you know, and it, it's very helpful for people not having to come and disclose where they can just actually get someone to read a question. And it's simple, making simple tweaks to exams, simple tweaks to courses that can help people. Um, again, the DSA is fantastic for university students. Um, FE colleges get a lot of SEND budget. They've got a lot of money to um, spend on uh, SEND support staff and uh, equipment for an apprenticeship someone doing an apprenticeship there's additional learning needs and additional social needs that's a fund again that the company can access to offer more support to offer technology so it's not as if the organizations that you're attending haven't got budgets to address special education needs you know the whole idea of well we haven't got that money they've got the money it's whether or not you spend the money in the right place and then secondary <laughs> schools we don't do a lot with secondary schools, but I won't get started on that. But ultimately, the secondary schools have a budget. If you have got a child in secondary school who is dyslexic and struggling, then it's looking at what can the school do. If the school aren't going to do an assessment, it's a case of looking at an educational healthcare plan. Go onto your local authority website. There's a whole application process to do an EHCP. Um, 
97% of EHCP cases are lost by the local authorities. There's a really good website called the Special Needs Jungle. We'll put a link into the, the notes for the podcast. Check those guys out. They do lots of visual infomercials about local authorities, educational healthcare plans, and how basically the local authorities make parents go to um, an, an appeal process. All the appeals, 97% of appeals are won by parents or errors with the local authority. It's a hell of a lot of money that's getting wasted by local authorities. Have a little Google on, on The Guardian about educational healthcare plans, about the SEM budgets, or even just, as I say, special needs jungle. I've got all the information you need. But ultimately, you can go off and, and, and get funding via an EHCP. The school should, again, provide a route for assessment. There are very few schools today that do that. Most of the assessments our children are lucky because the parents are going to fund the assessment. It shouldn't be down to the, the, the parents to fund the assessment. The diagnostic shouldn't have to be private. It should be done by the school. It should be addressed by the school. Uh, we, do, we do 16 plus. We do do some assessment work with uh, secondary schools. But I would say um, the whole school process, the, the school process is basically who shouts longest and loudest gets the support. So it's a case of speaking to the year head speaking to uh, the headmaster. If you get no joy with the year head, the headmaster, it's the governors. People in here who spoke to the local MP, complained to the local MP, getting onto the local authority. It's a big job, and it's it's these really passionate mums that succeed and passionate dads that succeed in getting support. Um, and never take no throughout, whether it's employment, education, unemployment. If someone says, no, you can't, that isn't the that isn't the final answer. No is not always the right answer. There are lots of people out there that are ill-informed. There are lots of people out there that don't know what dyslexia is. They don't know how it affects somebody in the home, work, or in the school education scenario. So don't always accept no. You know, don't always accept what you know. You can't go to your doctor and get support for dyslexia, but you can go to a teacher, you can go to a lecturer, you can go to a job centre, you can go to an organisation like ourselves. There's lots of organisations like the Foundation throughout the country. There's, you know, the British Dyslexia Association. There's, there's various different small groups. Around me, there's about five small groups from the Wirral Dyslexia Association, St. Helens, there's Manchester, there's Preston. There's lots of people out there that will offer you uh, you know, a half an hour conversation. It's not going to cost you anything where basically you can find the information that you need to progress and move forward. That's why we have a helpline, the BDA have a helpline. And I think there's, I think there's about 20 to 30 groups around the UK that have got local associations that do need support, for, especially for children, um, who will give you the right information. Ultimately, if you're not getting what you need in education, specifically with children, it's, it's going legal and looking at the legal group. If you can afford it, get a solicitor. If you're in employment and you're getting um, discriminated against, find an employment uh, solicitor. Look at you know, an employment tribunal. We, we've been involved with lots of um, employment tribunals where it, people are getting discriminated against and it's the ignorance from the employer or sometimes it's just a line manager who has this sort of knowledge or lack of knowledge to say that they don't know what dyslexia is and they, they stigmatise the person and it becomes an employment tribunal issue. But the best thing before you get to that is advocacy, is a conversation, is this is what this is the problem that I've got, what can you do? How can you help me? Do you know that this is covered by the law? Do you know that you should provide X, Y and Z for my child? You know, And there's lots of stuff out there um, that you can use that's free. There's, it doesn't always have to be an expensive um, you know, £10,000 budget of whatever it may be. You can go on to things like, as I said before, Grammarly. There's there's, there's apps, cheap apps. Voice Dream is one that I, I, I 
we've got nothing to do with any of these products as a as a as a charity. But Voice Dream, I've championed from the start when I met uh, Winston Chin at a conference. He was developing this piece of software which basically reads texts like a, an iTunes um, folder. You can download information from websites, from PDFs, and it'll read it to you. You can store it in little voice files and it's accessible and it's also got a little app where you can it's the same company that you can photograph a piece of paper a letter and it'll read it to you but that's for like 10 pound you can buy an app for 10 pound which will read a letter for some people that'll open a whole world of uh, of information that they couldn't access i get people that come in here that say can you read this letter to me you know and you're like you're reading letters or people used to scan letters if you can open that world up to them using a 10 pound piece of technology or there are various different other pieces of, of software text help claro um we've had ross on from recite which enables websites we had jack churchill on from the um, c pen company again you know the students are using those pens those pens are really good there's lots of stuff out there that you can use which isn't expensive uh, that you that you can sort of develop uh into your everyday life which will help you and uh, and um, move the person forward that's brilliant that's brilliant so um let's talk now about some frequently asked questions that we have at home so at home it's it comes down to sort of well you know if you looked at relationships how people interact so we get lots of um people that ring up and go oh my partner's dyslexic they're driving me mad because they forget this they forget that one of the key things for me, and I think for adults with dyslexia, is memory. I've never met a dyslexic person, a dyslexic adult, who hasn't got a poor short-term memory. Some people say they haven't got a poor short-term memory, but you know that's their own perception of their ability. But for me, the biggest issue that people raise is, I forget this, I forget that. You know, and that that to me, if you imagine that you're with. Um, a partner who's got a very poor memory, they might forget your birthday. They might forget to pick up the child from school. And this is me, you know, we're talking about really, but literally having these problems <laughs> where you leave your kid at school, you, you forget someone's birthday, you forget an appointment, you forget that you've got to go and, you know, pick up something from the shop. You go, I mean, I, I can go to a shop for a loaf of bread and come back with two pints of milk and, uh, you know, a bottle of wine and uh, still haven't got a, you know, a bottle of milk, but that's the that's the sort of the nature of being dyslexic is your short-term memory can be a problem. Things, the stigma of not being able to read in a relationship can be a big issue. I had a gentleman come into to, to this office who was 79 and uh, sat him down and said, okay, you, you've come in, uh, why are you here? And he's like, well, I want to learn to read. And I said, well, you, are you working at the moment? He went, no, I'm 79. I said, so you're not un unemployed? I went, no, I've retired. I said, so why at the age of 79 have you decided to learn to read? And he said, because... Every day I wait for my wife to read the sports page in the local paper, in the Liverpool Echo. And I said, so what's the problem? He said, I can't stand the way she reads it. <laughs> so I was like, why? He said, well, I wait all day. I go and get the paper. I sit there. And she reads it really quickly and it's like really annoyed at me. He said, and it creates a conflict and a bit, of, a bit of a problem. He said, so I want to learn to read. So we taught him in four months. Uh, one of our uh, tutors, Darren, came in and taught the guy to read. So all he wanted to be able to do was to read the sports section and literally, he left and he was able to read the paper and he was happy. But that created a conflict. He hadn't told his children he couldn't read. His wife always hid the fact that he couldn't read. So that anxiety and stress is not good for you. And that's where you find that at home it can be a problem. So it's looking at how in, how in relationships that, you know, 
if one person's empathetic or ideally it's always good to find another dyslexic person to get into a relationship with that's a good tip for the top but literally having those those um strategies in place where okay i've got a poor memory do I use a notebook to write things down? Do I use my phone to use voice notes, voice reminders? So it's finding that sort of sitting that person down, explaining to your partner or to your brother, your sister, your, whoever it may be, this is me, this is how I operate. I apologise that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to forget things. I'm going to you know, say things that might not be you know, the right thing because I've forgotten whatever it may be that I shouldn't say. But ultimately, it's looking at those aspects of relationship which are important. Then simple things, moving into what you do in your day-to-day life and how you organize yourself are key. A really good thing lately, I, I think, are um, all the, the sort of Alexas and um, Siri's and all the home assistants. You, you can set up your home where you can have an Alexa that reminds you every morning what you're doing. It can read out your diary. It can order you know, you're shopping, it can remind you that you're doing things, you know, whatever whatever you need to do, you can set her a voice reminder. If you want to find out, you know, what does um, antecedent mean, you can ask Alexa. If you can't spell doctor, you can ask Alexa and it will spell it out for you. You can ask Siri, there's lots of different Google assistants. Um, and it's that idea where the more sort of you set up your life to enable you to be more proactive, it's the best thing sitting back and saying listen well, i can't do it i'm not going to do it i don't like that doesn't work you know finding out and broadening your your, your whole sort of vocabulary of words and life looking at audio books looking at all the sort of things that are there which aren't expensive it's not you know it's not always about buying software and stuff it's more about the dyslexic person improving themselves being aware self-aware of what issues they have and what they forget and what they do and then trying to develop strategies and it's developing strategies where it, the simplest one that I've seen people use for 25 years is a notebook. One to 10, write down 10 things that you have to do. You shouldn't forget things that, you you know, you know, did you not put the bins out last night sort of thing? Just daft things where you make your life easy and less stressful. Um, and that, that to me, is, is the sort of solution to being practical in, in, in life and to be successful. And having that thing to say, I'm dyslexic, so what? You know, if you if you stood in a bank and somebody asks you to write something down and you say, Listen, I'm dyslexic, I'd rather not do that, can I, or can I take it away? Or whatever it may be, or asking for something in an accessible format. You know, I get asked all the time the car registration. I still can't remember the car registration when I go into a hotel. Those are the sort of things that make some people very embarrassed. I I give up being embarrassed about thirty years ago about being dyslexic. I'm quite, you know, I'm dyslexic. So what? I've forgotten that. Da-da-da-da. There are some things I forget because I'm lazy. I put my hand up to that as well. There's some things that I don't strategize around, there's some things that I don't do which are more down to my personality than, than, than sort of being dyslexic. But if you're honest with yourself and you know that you've got to make strategies and you've got to sort of develop, um, I mean, I, I always use same hotels, same airlines, same bank, same, you know, I always try and keep the same thing consistently. And the biggest thing is not to get tied up on terminology as well. You know, it, I, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and they were like, well, what is the specific learning difficulty? What is neurodiversity and what is dyslexia? So I said, well, forget about the other two. Just concentrate on knowing what dyslexia is. You're newly diagnosed. It's understanding what your dyslexia is, how it affects you, how it affects you in the home, how it affects you at work is the most important thing. Dyslexia is the thing that you need to focus on and dyslexia is the thing that you need to address. And that, for me, is is, is a positive sort of way to look forward to saying, okay, this is this is the issue that I've got. I've now got to address that issue. I can't just sit back and go, I'm dyslexic, I'm not doing it. 
or I can't just sit back and go, I'm not doing it and not explain why. If you say to someone, I'm dyslexic, I need a little bit of help, I can move forward. That's one of the most positive things that you can you can take away from sort of uh, being diagnosed and from sort of you know from engaging in the world of dyslexia. We need a bigger dyslexic community. It's one of the things we struggle with is most dyslexics will get the information they need and then they will go off and, and do what they're doing and and the, the the community doesn't develop. That's the why we have the idea of this podcast is to develop more of a community thinking and more of a positive way of thinking about being dyslexic. And finally, Steve, I'd like us to look at the practical things, the practical questions that people have around their everyday life. So um, the, the, the big questions are, who's going to fund the assessment? Where can I get an assessment? How's the assessment done? Um, the, one of the key things is also, is you know, what is dyslexia? There are definitions, but the definitions that are on the internet and, the, and on the websites of various organisations and the British Psychological Society aren't very accessible to dyslexic people so it's you know people will ring up and go so what is dyslexia i've got it i've got an assessment i've got 20 pages that i i don't really understand and, and you know what can what what can you do to explain what it is and that then simply comes back to that sort of thing that you know the biggest issue the biggest sort of practical issue you've got is a short-term memory problem a short-term memory deficit there are teachers that will be going oh no it's not that it's it's literally if you can't remember something that is the key thing so you don't remember how to do a mathematical equation it's your short-term memory people say about sequential information but it's your short-term memory that stops you remembering how and what letters are in the alphabet it's the short-term memory that affects the the sequential information of months of the year days of the week there are lots of things that your short-term memory affects how you can recall information my my long-term memory is fine um some days it's like a filing cabinet with no index and I can't get the right information out. But other days it's, it's really good. But ultimately it's having an, an identity and understanding what that identity is as a person with dyslexia. It's having that thing to say, okay, these are, this is something that can seriously affect my employment. It can seriously affect my personal life, but I've got strategies in place to address it. Um, and I think that understanding of it, that, that, the practicality of understanding how you function and what your strengths and weaknesses are, are very important. Um, most other sort of stuff that we get practically, it's it's teaching stuff. So it's how how would you teach somebody to improve their, their literacy? Um, we do have a limited number of free peer to peer reading programs that we've got uh, that we do send to people. So there are ways of teaching um, phonics. I always say to people, if you can't sound out your small alphabet yet at but the then there's an issue around phonics. There's an issue where it could be dyslexia. We often say to adults, can you do that? And, you know, we get lots of adults that can't do that. So we work with um, uh, Libby Coleman, who has is, is written a book for adults, uh, and we've been using that to teach people to read in the centre, and we do give it out as well. So if somebody is struggling and they want to sort of improve their reading, if they can find somebody who's not dyslexic to help them, then literally it's peer-to-peer. You don't have to be the sexy specialist teacher. But there are lots of reading program stuff. There are lots of apps that you can go online. You can go onto the, you know, where you can look at how to teach phonics, how you can teach reading, um, and just find someone that you trust to help you. You know, find somebody that will teach you to read. There's lots of good work done in prisons at teaching reading, uh, which which is important. Find a mentor. If you can get, we, we do mentor. We do a lot of mentoring for people that are employed and self-employed and unemployed. And find someone that you can sit down with, have a conversation. It can be Zoom, it can be over the phone, uh, whether it's a volunteer mentor or a paid mentor, where literally you can it's – it's, it's a case of having a conversation with someone to say, I'm dyslexic, what about this, what about that, what do you suggest, what can you do? And you'd be amazed that people who are dyslexic will give back, are happy to, 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 to 
have conversations and to support other people so they can reach the full potential. Um, and I think that is, you know, finding someone who you can talk to who's dyslexic, who understands being dyslexic is, is, is a positive uh, idea. The practicality of life is, you know, it's the key things that we've covered in these sort of three sections are disclosure, you know, getting an assessment, find out your dyslexic. You want to find out your dyslexic, there's our screen tour online, which is at dyslexiafoundation.co.uk. There are lots of other ones. That that, that one that we do is free. There are other ones that, that are paid. Um, and then finding whether it's an employer, an education provider, or, you know, whether it's your mum, whatever, whoever, it's finding someone that can support you to get a diagnostic assessment. You know, this is the only disability where you have to go and prove that you've got a disability. You have to go and spend £600 or £1,000 to find out your dyslexic. It shouldn't be that. It should be found at six or seven. We had Matt Hancock on the uh, podcast discussing how he wants um, the education authority to, to basically screen children. It should be diagnosed at six and seven. It's not rocket science to, to identify a child in a classroom who's dyslexic. It's not, you know, thousands of pounds worth of support. It's a case of looking at it as, as a holistic sort of picture of going, okay, screen all children in primary, then offer the support, offer the software, offer everything that they need within the secondary and primary education. And then as they progress forward, there's going to be less reliance on having to pay disability grants because the, the children are getting the right education, the right support, and the right guidance at an early age. It's much harder to, to support somebody who's 50 than it is somebody who's five. So if you start at the, the, the sort of the, 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 the appropriate uh, place, the, the uh, primary education, it's a lot better. Sally Shaywitz, an American academic, had, had done a, a very useful uh, talk looking at the fact that there's a lot more opportunity for education as a child than there is as an adult. And now, po post-COVID, there's hardly any way you can learn to read. People aren't doing one-to-one -one classes to teach people to read. Um, you know, people are very... Um, not scared, but people aren't open up the doors to sort of one-to-one -one group work with, with, with people that are trying to learn to read. So if you're struggling to find somewhere you can learn to read, it, it, it's a problem. But in the primary and secondary school, that is where the process should start, and that's where the investment should start. All right, Steve, that is the perfect uh, place to finish and, and, and wrap up there. Um, I hope that's been helpful for people. Um, you can find, as Steve says, the uh, link to um, uh, our website and uh, the other links that we've mentioned throughout this episode in the show notes. Thank you. You've been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Juma McGowan. And my guest today was once again, Steve O'Brien, the CEO of the Dyslexia Foundation, who was answering your FAQs. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go and visit dyslexia-help.org. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and Epic Projects, or the Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation. Epic is a US-based non-profit organization. Epic creates bonds among caring people devoted to solving global challenges of poverty, food insecurity, environmental degradation, human rights, and making peace please go and visit their website, epicprojects.org. 
And if you really enjoyed this episode, please go rate and subscribe. Leave us a little review even. It really helps the podcast grow.